I was asked to give some titles. So maybe how about lies to children? Or don't worry, it's not true. Or forget everything. Or perhaps we really don't know anything, so we don't need to forget anything. Well, the practice of silent illumination is not a practice. Some possible titles. A famous Buddhist master, and whenever we use the term master in this context, we mean a craftsman, somebody who is a master of their craft. Accomplished. And this master was on their deathbed, and people came to him and said, Please, give us a summation of your teachings. What final words do you want to leave for us? And he paused for a minute, and he said, Please, just be kind. Just be kind. So if you want a standard of practice, you can choose this. May I just be kind and loving. Of course, as with all things, everything can be taken at face value. And this can be, of course, as a simple statement of intention. But some of us have more complicated minds, more complicated thinking, and so we have to say a little bit more. When we're teaching children about the world, we usually begin with lies. And lying to children is a common pedagogical method. We start saying something like, the world is round. Cars run on gasoline. But the world is not round. And cars run on much more than gasoline. And as people mature, as children mature, we can begin to tell more sophisticated inaccuracies. The sun does not rise and set. The globe spins. But the world is not round. It's not a globe. It's more like a squash pumpkin. But it's not made of vegetable matter. It's made of many things all grinding and shifting and squirming. It's never still. In fact, it doesn't even wobble or doesn't even spin. It only wobbles. It wobbles around the sun in an ellipse <laughs> at tremendous speed. So as we continue, we start off with inaccuracies, inaccuracies, lies, consciously told. And then we try as we mature, as our understanding matures, as we grow, then we can have more and more sophisticated inaccuracies. Matter is solid. Matter is not solid. Matter is composed of atoms. Atoms are not things. They're only probabilities in a field of energy. We never touch anything. The whole thing is a function of mind. It's all awareness of awareness. It's all a dream and a non-existent dream. And so the Dharma is like this. You know, we can start off with a simple statement, matter is matter, just be kind. And in a way, that's, that's quite adequate. 
Matters matter. You know? Don't walk through walls. But with the Dharma, we start off with something like just be kind, which probably is truer than most things. But each truth can be superseded and included by a larger truth, by a more complex understanding, by a richer way of expressing it, in a way like holons. Each holon is, is contained by a larger holon, a more complex level of understanding. Each side of the mandala is always not just a side all by itself, but it's part of the whole pizza. And there's many flavors of slices on the pizza. So we could say we are here to realize our true nature. We are here to rouse bodhicitta, aspiration for the awakening, for awakening for the benefit of all beings. We are here to generate the mind of compassion. And it's true. And we have to sit still. And we have to be mindful. And we have to be present and relaxed. And we have to be concentrated. And we have to look into the nature of things, vipassana. And we have to inquire into the nature of things, not just look with koans. And we have to have a radical acceptance. And we have to have fearless activity. And we have to have deep faith. And they're all true but if we start comparing one to another, one level of complexity, one level of sophistication, one level that is speaking to certain minds, with another level, they all sound contradictory. They can. For example, be very concentrated. It's a matter of effort. It's a matter of, of your will putting your mind where you want it. And have deep faith. It doesn't matter whether you put your mind where you want it or not. You know, have deep faith. The universe is, take care of it, is taking care of itself. So, we often will say different contradictory things in an, in an inaccurate, ineffective attempt to say the same thing. So, Kisei gives poetic and mystical teachings and I give sort of plodding and pedantic ones. <laughs> but we're still pointing at the same, same thing. Gogu, in his Silent Illumination book that we're using, gives two very nice examples. He, he contrasts the words of Chan Master, Linji, Ma, Linji Master, Rinzai Master, uh, Yuan Keegan from the 12th, 11th century, and who says, Directly, your mind should resemble a withered log and a rotten tree stump. Like a person who has gone through a great death, who no longer breathes. Moment to moment, without knowing, instant to instant, without abiding, even a thousand sages cannot call you out of the state. <laughs> then it may be possible for you to be like the blooming of flowers on a withered tree. You'd be able to bring forth boundless responses and exhibit the lively function of kindness and compassion. 
And one of his contemporaries, Dawi, said, those who study the way must be quiet and still. Still their thoughts and feelings and perceptions during the 12 hours of the day. There's no particular task that needs to be done. And sit in quiet meditation so your mind does not become lax. Your body remains motionless. And after a while, you will become natural and have a tranquil body and mind, which you will put into accordance with the way. Same thing, pointing at the same thing, but very different than just be still and calm and tranquil and become like a dead log or a rotten, become like a withered tree or a dead log. Same thing. So as we practice, and there's lots of words that keep coming out, part of the maturity of practice is not to be confused by the words. They're all inaccurate. But we grab a hold, we glom onto, we, we clutch at a particular word or phrase that we like that accords with our view, and we get confused by it. There are many aspects of practice that really involve don't, don't just take the surface of things for granted. See the essence. And there are many <clears throat> koans that actually throw out a whole bunch of words and see whether somebody gets caught in the words or whether they can actually see through the words, use the words. As the chant that we recite says, Cutting through confusion is the way of silent illumination. <clears throat> Cutting through confusion, and the most confusing things are words, beliefs, opinions. And our task is to investigate and to see what's true. The essential truth that is presented by the great masters. So the bottom line of this whole tirade, is where we are each at is just fine, is just perfect, is just the way it must be. We are called to be in exactly the position that we are in, with exactly the same mind that we have. We are called to that. That is the summation of our life experience, and it is just fine. And it will evolve. And its foundation is unchanging. In a way, we could say that all of these talks are accept where you're at and realize there's a whole lot more to see. Accept that you see, you know, you feel your hands as well as you possibly can feel your hands. You breathe as well as you possibly can breathe. And there's a lot more experience, a lot more about the breath than we know. Always, always deeper, richer. In this tradition, we, we spend a lot of time, um, sometimes, preparing for talks. It's a matter of upaya, trying to figure out skillfully what is 
true and how to skillfully try to inspire other people. But that particular uh, effort to plan talks is, is not universal. Ajahn Sumedho, uh, Lumpur Sumedho, who was the senior Western teacher in the Thai forest tradition, we chant his name in the morning. When he was a young, a young monk in Thailand, his teacher, Ajahn Chah, one night out of the blue said, oh, Ajahn Sumedho, please come up here and give us a Dharma talk. So Ajahn Sumedho, according to him, he went up there and he started to try to share what little he knew about the Dharma. You know, spent 15 minutes and said, well, that's all I have to say. And Ajahn Chah said, no, keep going. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And he was up there for three hours <laughs> struggling to find something about the Dharma to say. That's a whole different pedagogical model. And Ajahn Sumedho said he never was he failed so miserably at that task, he was never afraid to give a talk again. <laughs> said he could not possibly have been worse than that, those three hours sitting there. <laughs> so he had bought him and he was okay. So the function of talks is one way or another to gain skill, to have faith in the Dharma, to express that, to share that, to help inspire other people, encourage other people, occasionally to point things out. It's rarely informational. And if out of a, a talk we feel encouragement to keep going and we feel inspiration to look more deeply, it's great. And one other element, of course, is I personally find it a real pleasure to talk about Dharma, to share Dharma, to hear the Dharma being spoken. It's a real pleasure. In a way, talking about trivia is not. It's a real pleasure. So, back to, back to practice in the room. So, we are here, ostensibly, far as I know, because we want to understand ourselves, because we want to understand and the world around us. We understand who we are. We want to learn how to, to maximize the satisfactions of our life, to maximize the pleasures of acceptance, of bodhicitta, of love. We want to learn how to connect with kindness and love, something that we all crave. And we come to Sashin because we feel, we all must feel, because we all ch chose to come here, we all chose to enter this particular container, we must feel that this particular way of sitting in silence with constant encouragement to practice and to look carefully, to sitting in silence with a constant encouragement to not wander off and to do trivial things, is a good method to realize what we want.
to see what we cannot currently see, or as the Buddha says, to realize that which has not yet been realized. So I think about my life and other people's lives before we were practicing or you know, oftentimes during practice. And there are many times when we're just running around on automatic, trying to live life out of our beliefs we inherited from our family, not considering anything beyond avoiding the other cars and getting where I want to go, and presumably going to get things, going to get a book, get food, get supplies, get pleasure of some sort. Before we begin really practicing, many people are just in that kind of shallow way of getting by. And people do that for their whole life. They just get by. They just get by. They just run in a circle, getting, 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 avoiding, avoiding, avoiding. Until we actually sit down. And we can't do that very successfully when you're in Sashin. There's nowhere to go. Everything outside is just predictable. It's kind of boring in some ways. The only interesting territory is the landscape of our own mind, our own heart. As Kisei quoted Zen Master Umon, while the clock, this is sort of quotes, while the clock ticks, you run around getting things done, forgetting the vast universe, the flaming stars, the empty spaces between them, the infinity of worlds, the eternity of time, the interconnectedness of supply chains, the hidden desperation of all people, the source of gasoline, the meaning of life. Many other things. So we come to Sashin to look beyond the conventional, to look to to become toshers and mudlarks, the, the old Victorian term for people who would go out along the riverbanks or in the sewers and try to find things that had been lost. And so we're here as mudlarks looking in the mud to try to find the jewels of the Dharma. And so we sit down, we look at reality such as it is. We first sit down, we get centered, we become embodied, and then we get to stop and begin unlearning. Or learn that what we thought we knew isn't true. Or learn that all of the assumptions, all of the assumptions that we have inherited are wrong. When we're basically lies to children that we have adopted, that we haven't looked beyond. And so we sit down here to look beyond these beliefs and stratagems that have run our life, operating almost unconsciously as though they were true. And what's even more interesting is if we look carefully, we can begin to see how we are grimly, tenaciously, defensively battle every effort 
to reveal something else. Every effort, we, we fight against every effort to see the truth. Even to show ourselves the truth to ourselves. Just like some unreasonable people in our culture, you know, people who are anti-vaxxers or who are conspiracy advocates, we're just like them. We just want to be right and we want to pay attention, not pay attention, not really believe, not really look at the untruths that we have adopted. And what are some of the untruths? What are some of the beliefs that we have adopted and lived by that have caused us so much suffering? First off, we're separate. That we're separate, that we're cut off from the world, that we're a discrete entity, that we are born here and we have this particular life and we die there and we're an independent agent. It's a lie. It's not true. We can easily see that if we start looking carefully. Every single strand, every single strand of awareness is connected infinitely out. There is nothing that is independent. But when we hold that wrong view of separation, we suffer. We cause others to suffer. A second wrong view that we are deliriously attached to fight sometimes won't even consider is that I'm the body. This is who I am. We look in the mirror in the bathroom and we think, ah, that's me. I'm so beautiful. And as we begin to practice, we may, first off, we come in and we think, I am the body, this is me. And we may practice, begin to, to think, well, I have a body. Or then maybe we practice a little bit more, say, well, I have lots of parts. There are lots of parts of this body. Or a little bit more, we may see this particular karmic bundle is a vehicle for life. When we think we are this body, this is who we are. And of course, you know, we define, we defend, we worry that when we die, it, the body, and all things are going to disappear and be worthless. And as an effort to protect this particular body-mind, because there's a mental construct that goes along with it, we just try to get all our friends together to affirm and to agree with us so that we can have great agreement from the largest number of people that we are right and that everything is okay and this is my body and this is my life and it should be like this and I'm doing well. And we have so much agreement with that delusion. Every single drop of media, our whole culture is saturated with that, those two delusions, that we're separate and that we are a thing. And the third delusion, the third fixed belief that we grimly hold on to is that somehow satisfaction, suffering, success, love, even heaven 
is found in the future. It's found someplace else out there. And it's found out there when certain conditions are met. My satisfaction, my completeness, my awakening will happen when I have this experience or that person or, or this particular circumstances or you know, this, this particular thing I think of as freedom because I have money and power. These are all part of the untruths, part of the lies that we have adopted and that we perpetuate, perpetrate perhaps. And if we sit down and we actually begin to look carefully, as has been pointed out over and over by many of the great teachers, they can all be refuted. We can all see the untruth of these cherished beliefs. Belief is just a belief. It's not reality. So we sit down, we come to Sashin not to learn more, not to add to our store of wrong thinking, but to unlearn, to let go. Gogu says this, Chan, Zen, offers no particular fixed way to practice. The only purpose of practice is to uproot our deep-seated emotional afflictions and negative habitual patterns that conceal our true awakened nature and at the same time develop our true potential. And over the centuries, masters have developed many numerous skills to try to help people. Our misunderstandings, there are many more as you can imagine, our misunderstandings, our misperceptions, our misbeliefs, our mistaken um, fixated ideas are not only the source of suffering for us and other people, but they're also simply perpetuated by our thoughts. We just think them. And we can't even find those thoughts. Thoughts disappear. There's no evidence that you are thinking except more thoughts. Actually, there's no evidence there's a past except more thoughts. They all disappear. Sit down, you say, I want to really look at my thoughts. My mind is full of thoughts. I've got so many thoughts here, I can't concentrate. They're really overwhelming me. The inner narrator is driving me crazy. The inner critic is, is... And you say, where is this? Where is one of those things? Show me an inner critic. Show me a narrator. Show me a word the narrator is saying. Find a word the narrator is saying. And you can't. They vaporize. As soon as you look at them directly, they all vaporize. And all that's left is more thoughts. And if we don't believe those thoughts, And then somebody gives us a practice and tells us to do this, and we rouse up some more thoughts to try to combat the thoughts, to try to see into the thoughts with the thoughts, and 
We just go around and around and around and around, thinking, 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 trying to unthink our thinking as we think. It's, it's a, it is much more than a rat race. And it's also doomed to defeat. You cannot see through thought with thought. You cannot see reality with thought. So this is the miracle of Zazen. The miracle of Zazen is we don't need more. We don't need more thought to keep examining thought. We don't use thought to try to unthink our delusions. So we stop. We come to Sashin. We sit down on the cushion. And we are practicing in this retreat what we're calling silent illumination. Samatha. Calm abiding where we turn the mind away from its fixation on believing thoughts. And whether we ignore thought or we turn away from thought or we look at reality beyond thought or we let the mind settle or we just watch thought flicker in and flicker out without any clutching at them, whatever it is, it is that way that we begin to recognize reality. Not because we got busy and did something. Not because we got busy and reframed everything. Not because we got busy and took it all apart. But because we allowed, whatever that means, to not believe our thoughts. It would be amazing if it was that simple. Pay attention. Don't believe your thinking. Now, of course, you know, we can use thinking as a tool, and it's a tool, it's certainly useful. But to be able to think from the ground of being and to be at the mercy of thought because of reactive habit patterns are two different things. One of which is all about I, me, and my, and the other is about the connected nature of the universe and our inherent oneness with all people. Byron Katie just says that if you just keep asking more and more deeply, is that true? Is that thought true? Is that really true? Is that really, 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 really true? Then it will dissolve delusion. And it's not nihilism. It doesn't just dissolve into nothing. It's a, com- that's a complete mistake. So our Buddha nature, once we, as we dissolve, as we turn away from, the nat- Buddha nature is freedom. It's liberation. One of the lies we tell ourselves is we're not free. We tell ourselves that we're small, that we're inadequate, that we're broken. And then as soon as we have a thought like that, all the evidence comes up to why it's true, which is all thought. All memory, you know, I'm, I'm really incapable and I'm, I'm failing, and then here's why. Da, 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 da. There's no proof. There's absolutely no proof that anybody here is the slightest, slightest, tiniest bit 
inadequate or failing. There is no evidence whatsoever. There is no proof. There is nothing that can, can point to a failing, a lapse, and an adequacy except a whole lot more thoughts. And they're just thoughts. They're fine as they are. They're just thoughts. But everybody, if we sit down and we look at, at, directly at our life, whole and complete, lacking nothing, as we keep saying. There is no evidence except for a bunch of thinking. Our body is exactly the way it is, you know, serving you extremely well. And the mind comes in and says, no, you should be taller, shorter, lighter, you should be greener, you should be, you know, whatever it happens to say. Here's what Gogu says also. Buddhist teachings point to the moment-to-moment emergence of phenomena in our mind. Sensations, conceptions. And we give these, these mental phenomena the general label of just the mental continuum. This mental continuum is experienced at different levels. The very coarsest level is that we're a self. We're a sense that we're here separate from what we see there, the very coarsest level. And if we come into Sashin and we're sitting down and we're still thinking, I am sitting, I am practicing, my thoughts, I, 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 we're just continuing to perpetuate the suffering delusion. We can't even sit doing zazen thinking, oh, I'm doing Zazen. That's just more thoughts, more random thoughts. And we always see this. Everybody has different experiences during Sushin. Sometimes they catch your attention very greatly, and sometimes they catch our attention because they're wonderful, and sometimes they catch our attention because they're not wonderful. You know, we all have different experiences. And immediately, the mind comes in with thought, trying to, to cherry-pick the experiences that we like so that we can have them some more, so we can hang on to them, so we'll get better, so we'll da 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 The only obstacle is believing our thought. Thought negative, thought positive. So this sense of I, I, me, and my self, is based on our obsession with the continuous, with the continuous, continuity of thought, the mental stream, the mental continuum. And for many people in the world, that's all they ever have known. They've just made that as a fundamental assumption. I am my thoughts. I am my body. I am this this narrator that's in there. That's me, the narrator who's narrating about the world. But as we come to Sashin, as we begin to practice, as we begin to actually sit and look at reality, we realize, I'm not the narrator. I mean, not even thought. You know, thoughts happen, you know. I don't decide they're going to happen. I don't decide they're going to stay. I don't decide they're going to go. They just are flowing through. So we are already free. 
we're already liberated. That's the Buddha Dharma. Already liberated. What does that mean? In a way you could say it means that nature is completely unfolding as nature. It means that the oneness of all things is just the oneness of all things. And so we are already free. And then periodically during session or other times in our life, our mind kind of stops. We look directly at reality. We have an experience of freedom, of liberation, of oneness, of spaciousness, of, you know, lots of different ways. And then, of course, the mind jumps in and thinks, I realize that, that's the way it is, and off we go again. And so we have to keep practicing. Every realization we have, every insight we have, is a call to continue looking directly at reality. The practice of silent illumination Samatha, calm abiding, shikantaza, is the practice of sitting in reality. And the more we sit in reality, the less compelling our delusion is, at least ideally. When we are coming and we are doing zazen, doing shikantaza in the way we're talking about now, just sitting, We don't need to imagine that we're free. We don't need to imagine that there's something wrong with us. We don't need to identify with the endless stream of thinking. We just need to pay attention. Pay attention. One of the koans, a monk goes to a teacher and says, what's the highest truth of Buddhism? And the teacher says, attention. Student says, huh? Well, I hear that all the time. You know, can you give me something more? Attention, attention. Every beginning person, every beginning practitioner knows that. Tell me the most profound things. Attention, attention, attention. But to understand that with our mind, is again being caught by thinking. We have to experience it. How do you experience attention? By paying attention. Here's what Anthony DeMello, the, uh, the, the, the kind of very interesting Jesuit priest says. Life is a banquet. And the tragedy is that most people are starving to death. That's what I'm really talking about. There's a nice story about some people who are on a raft off the coast of Brazil and they were perishing from thirst. They had no idea that the water they were floating on was fresh water. The river that was coming out to the sea with such force that it went out for a couple of miles, and so they had fresh water right where they were standing, right where they were sailing. But they had no idea. In the same way, he continues, we're surrounded with happiness, we're surrounded by love, and we have no idea of this whatsoever. Why? We're brainwashed, we're hypnotized, we're asleep. Imagine a stage musician who hypnotizes someone so the person sees what is not there and does not see what is there. That's what this is all about. We call, 
That's into his quote. We call inside Kincho Satori, we call it waking up. Realization. Waking up to the way things are. Waking up, realizing, oh, oh, it was like this all this time. I thought it was so different. And how do we wake up? We keep paying attention now. Without expectation. Without expectation. When in the right time, different experiences come. It's the right time for you to be a parent, then you'll be a parent. It's the right time for you to have a realization, you'll have a realization. It's the right time for you to become a sous chef, you'll become a sous chef. When the right time is there. And we are, in a way, setting the stage for the right time for awakening by sitting in reality. And we can sit in reality still confused and unclear, but as long as we sit in reality, we are setting the stage for realization. Pay attention. Pay attention now. So our task is that, but to, to do it with confidence, to do it with faith, that we're not in charge. We're not in charge. We do not control the world. We do not control our body. We do not even control our mind. We do not control thought. And yet, right where we sit, right where we hear the crow, is a powerful aspiration, a powerful revelation of the reality of our lives. Have deep faith. We are already free. The following chant can be found on the chant book, page five in the chant book. 